Well, good morning, church. As Kendall kind of introduced me a little bit already, my name is Lane Craig. Uh, I'm in my final year at Baylor University's Truett Seminary. I am the husband of Wendy Craig, and so if you've got the chance to meet Wendy, she's the children's pastor here. I just want to say thank you this morning so much for allowing me to have the opportunity to preach, the opportunity uh, to share God's Word with you. Thank you, Brother John. And for those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for just being able to tune in. And this morning, we're going to be looking into 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be looking this morning into a passage of Scripture about a really extraordinary character. And you might hear me this morning say that word extraordinary quite a bit, because I truly believe that for a lack of even better terms, that this person that we're going to be talking about today embodies just that. They are truly extraordinary. This morning, we're going to be reading about an individual who oftentimes goes unnoticed and even unmentioned. You won't find this, this character, you won't find this person oftentimes on stained glass windows. You won't even see her in those wonderful little Bible picture books that we got to read as kids, right? You won't ever see her name written down in the Hall of Fame, but yet she plays such an integral part. She demonstrates who God is and she shows God's radical, compassionate love to somebody that is really Really difficult. And even though her story isn't widely known, I believe today that she has one of the most incredible and extraordinary responses in the midst of a really difficult, intense situation. This morning, again, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to be focusing on a specific section of the text. And we're going to be centering our time around verses 2 through 4 after we read the entire passage. Today, we're going to be looking into the person of a young servant Israelite girl whose name is, well, I mean, her name's never mentioned. But she plays an incredible and extraordinary part in this entire story. And in fact, we never even are going to get more than just a brief glimpse into her life and her history with there only actually being about two verses worth of information about her story Yet, even with such little information and background about her story, I believe that there is an extraordinary truth that you and I can uncover today from the text. So this morning, let us begin by reading the text. We'll start in verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Iran had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. This morning we're going to be looking for a brief second. We're going to see that there are three different characters at work in this section. And the first character that we see in this story as we open up is we're going to see that of Naaman. And we read that Naaman in the beginning, that he's the commander of the army of Aram. 
And now a little bit of background about who Aram was, who the kingdom of Aram was, is that they were an enemy of Israel. And they were part of the larger Assyrian empire. And so in the grand scheme of things, Aram was a much more powerful force and army to be reckoned with by Israel. And because of this, this oftentimes caused a lot of fear and it caused a lot of intimidation from Israel because they were so scared of this intense power. And as we look into the person of Naaman, who again, know this, he was the commander of, the, of Aram's army. It's almost ironic that this powerful, this valiant soldier, this person who had such prestige in the kingdom, yet falls prey to an uncontrollable disease, leprosy. Even further on in verse 2, we read that the army of Aram would oftentimes go into Israel and they would raid the land and the people of all their things. They would pillage, they would destroy, they would capture many vulnerable Israelites. And because of this, the Aramites, they were hated and despised enemies of Israel. This is the picture that the author of 2 Kings paints for us as we open up to this text. That in yet another one of the Aramites' raids on the people of Israel, a young, nameless servant girl was taken away from her family. She was taken away from her familiarity. She was taken away from her comfortability. She was taken away from her safety. And she was forced into a land to work and live in a world that was not her own. And as we continue along through verses 5 through 18, we're going to be reading that Naaman go, he travels to Israel. And after hearing upon from the, the news from the Israelite girl that, that, that there is a person, that there is a prophet who would be able to heal him of his leprosy. And upon hearing about Naaman's arrival and request, the king of Israel freaks out. He's so scared because he's now given this request saying, if, you, if we can't heal you, then this is going to cause an all-out war. This is a large request for Israel to have to handle. And so the king bursts out. He is anxious, he is nervous, and he is scared because this situation jeopardizes the non-confrontational relationship that they share with Aram. However, we're going to be reading now about the person of Elisha who, in verse 8, who seeks to comfort the king by reassuring him that God will demonstrate his power and healing in this situation. So look with me now in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9. We'll have it up on the screen as well. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the river of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash myself in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went off in a rage. However, one of Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed, will you do it? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. 
And his flesh was restored and he became clean. He became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Now, after reading this second section here, we now see a little bit more about the person of who Elisha was. And a little bit of background about Elisha is that he was a prophet from Israel who came after his successor, Elijah. There's a J in there, right? I always get those two confused. There's Elijah and there's Elisha. Um, there's a J and Sha. That's how I always kind of remember it. But Elisha is the successor of Elijah after Elijah is taken into heaven, Elisha is his successor, and he continues the ministry of the prophet who came before him. Throughout this entire book, as we read through the entire book of 2 Kings, we'll read that Elisha performs and demonstrates so many prophetic acts and signals because he wants to proclaim God's message to the people of Israel and to the surrounding nations around him. And even in this situation, when we see that the kingdom of Israel is placed under an intense and immense amount of pressure, that there is a situation that, that Naaman requires healing, Elisha remains faithful to God instead of cracking under the pressure. Because of Elisha's faithfulness to God, this, as we read, leads to the salvation. This leads to the repentance of Naaman and being able to reclaim. Now I know that there is no other God in all the world except one, the God of Israel, the God that you and I serve today. That there is no other healing power in this world but God alone. Elisha remains faithful and obedient to God and because of that, Naaman is blessed as the outcome. And this then leads to the character, I think, that, that it's real easy to miss over, that it's real easy to gloss over. And that's the young Israelite girl that we read in the very beginning of this text. It's really easy to jump to the point where we see of Elisha's faithfulness and obedience to God. And yes, that is something we should learn from. That is something we should celebrate. And we're going to be looking into that today. But before we get to Elisha, there's a section that's included of the young Israelite girl. This girl who was taken captive from her family and people in Israel to be placed in a land where she now devotes the, her entire life to serving Naaman's wife, the kingdom of Aram. And we see her story briefly introduced at the beginning of chapters in chapter 5 and verses 2 and 3. This morning, I want us to center our time around examining the way that the young Israelite girl, her faithfulness to obey God, even in the midst of being in a land of her enemies, leads instead to the blessing of others. And sometimes that even includes our enemies. The young girl's faithfulness to obey God shows that God blesses those around us through our faithfulness. And we see this even played out in the way that Naaman proclaims and says, now I know that there is no other God in all the world but in Israel. Think back with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment. 
to the life and the story of the young girl who was, who was originally from Israel. I mean, could you imagine what that might feel like? The amount of sadness, the amount of grief, the depression, the anxiety, the fear that comes from being taken away from your family at such a young age. I mean, could you imagine the, the pain that someone must carry and feel from that, from being taken away from their homeland? This is an unbearable amount of weight that I hope that nobody ever, ever would have to experience or feel. And I think if anybody, and more than I think, I know that if, any, if, if today you and I were to say if anybody had a reason to hate Naaman, I think it would be the young Israelite girl. As Naaman was the commander of this army who could potentially have been the person to take the young, who could have led this, this raid into taking this girl away. If anybody was to hate him and to let him, what we would say, maybe even get what he deserves, would be the young Israelite girl whose name is not mentioned. But instead, when an opportunity presents itself for the commander of the army, Naaman, to die, to just, to just be able to take him by leprosy, what does the young servant girl do? Does she let him just become prey to it? She intervenes on behalf to help him. What? How does, that make any, how does that make any possible sense? By, by all society standards, he should just get what he deserves. But we as Christians today say, no, that is not the case. Because of the God that you and I serve today, we say, no, that is not the case. And, and we ask ourselves the question, how does this possibly make sense? It makes sense because she was faithful to God. And because she was faithful to obey God's calling in the midst of this situation, and because she was able, because she was faithful to God, she was able to bless the people around her, especially her enemy. Her faithfulness to God led to the blessing of her enemy, Naaman. And this is what I want us to know today. If you're taking notes, if you said, if, if even in the midst of all this, if you leave today and you remember one thing, this is what I want us to remember, is that our faithfulness to God leads to the blessing of others. It leads to the blessing of our friends. It leads to the blessing of our co-workers. It leads to the blessing of our families. It leads to the blessing of strangers. But in that same category as well, it oftentimes, and maybe even, leads to the blessing of our enemies. We read here in this passage that the young servant girl's response is one of love, it's one of mercy, and it's one of empathy. And instead of choosing to respond with hatred, she provides Naaman with an outlet of hope. And in, that, and, in, and in this part in the beginning of the story, with an outlet of potential healing, she is fully confident that God will heal Naaman, that God is faithful and that God will work through Elisha's faithfulness. Her response is not only an extraordinary response, but by all standards, it is radical and it goes against all the world's standards. Not our standards, but the world's standards for how our enemies should be treated. And instead of letting Naaman get what he deserves, she demonstrates powerful and unconditional mercy and grace to Naaman. 
I think a lot of times as Christians, it can be really easy for us to, we say the words mercy and grace a lot, especially when describing who God is. I think it's important that we take a moment to pause, and this is how I like to define what mercy and grace is. When we read about mercy, when we see the term mercy to describe God, I would describe it as this, is not receiving what we do deserve, right? As Christians, we believe that because we have sinned and fallen short of God's standards of righteousness, because we have chosen our selfishness, because we have chosen sin, then we do deserve to spend an eternity away from God's love. However, because of God's mercy, we don't. Because of God's mercy through Jesus, we get to spend eternity with God. While grace is that of receiving what we don't deserve. But because of God's grace, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have eternal life with him. These two attributes are not only seen in the way that the young Israelite girl demonstrates her actions towards Naaman, but ultimately we, we recognize as Christians that this is who our God is. The God that we serve is mercy. The God that we serve is grace. The God that we serve is love and empathetic. And he knows what we wrestle with today. I feel that it's necessary for me to especially pause and take a moment to recognize the injustices that are even at play in this text. From the beginning of chapter 15, we do see that there is an abuse of children and families and vulnerable in Israel. Because even though while the common practice of conquest and pillaging in raiding, if we see this throughout the Old Testament, the abuse or taking advantage of the vulnerable and helpless was never okay. It was never considered righteous in Israel. And therefore, for us as Christian and as people, this type of action, we should never consider a righteous sort of act. There is, hear me when I say this, there is an injustice here in the text. Yet instead, this young Israel, the girl... She chooses to bless others even in the midst of her tragic circumstance. And I also want to note this morning that her suffering and grief did not take place so that she would or that she could help Naaman and his family. God didn't make this happen to her so that she would be a blessing to others. Instead, what the author of 2 Kings is wanting to communicate to us today is to see that even in her hardship, she chose to remain faithful to God and to cling to the words and actions that she knew true in Scripture. And I'm not wanting to move past that terrible thing or even condone or lessen Naaman's actions or the kingdom of Aram. These are terrible things. But what I want us to know is that God was able to work through this tragic situation and bring about healing, both spiritual, bringing reconciliation, restoring the relationship between Naaman and God, but also even physical healing as we see Naaman's leprosy healed and cured. But one of the things that we do see in this text and in this passage is the reality and the presence of evil here. I don't think any of us today have to look far to realize or recognize that there is, an, that there is evil in the world, that there are injustices in the world, from just the months of May and June alone, we have witnessed and experienced the great evil and tragedy around us. 
As Brother John mentioned that even a couple of weeks ago, right now, even across our country, there have been from a recorded amount of over 250 mass shootings in the U.S. alone in the year of 2022. We still see racial, continual racial injustices across our nation and neighborhood. And we even talk about disappointment and heartbreak within our own Baptist convention. You don't need to look far to realize or recognize that there are evil and injustices around us. But this morning as we read and examine the life of the Israelite girl, whose name, again, know this, is not even mentioned in Scripture, we read that her response to the hand of the injustices that were dealt to her from a young age was to show and demonstrate God's mercy and grace. She was faithful to respond to God. She was faithful to respond to God's commands and to that of Naaman. Because again, what I want us to know this morning is that her faithfulness to God led to the blessing of those around her, especially her enemy. Her response isn't, isn't some sort of newly contrived response, but we see this rooted in the heart of who God is. This is who God is and this is who God has always been. We read this in Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 and 15. A part of the law that, that, Mo, that was given to Moses, to the Israelites, says, if you come across your enemy's straight ox or donkey, what do you do? You just let them go and let them fend for themselves? That makes sense, right? It's your enemy. No. Instead, it says, you must return it to them. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you lying helpless under its load, and you want to refrain from helping it, too bad. You must help with it. We even see this in the writings of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 25. If your enemy is hungry, just let them starve. No. If your enemy is hungry, give them food to eat. And if they are thirsty, give them water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head and the Lord will reward you. I think another passage that rings true to our hearts and minds today is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You know, some other translations will even say, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. Because this is what I want us to know this morning. Is that our faithfulness to God leads to the blessing of others. And sometimes that even includes our enemies. For a moment, just think with me. Just picture this with me. What if, right? I love what ifs. I think they're so much fun in in those long car rides when you ask the question of what if. What will happen, right? Imagine with me, again, this didn't happen, but imagine with me, what if the servant girl didn't intervene? What would happen, right? Who knows the course of action that could have taken place as a result? What would have happened of Naaman? What would have happened with the Rom? What would have happened with Elisha? And while we can play around and we can toy with what ifs all day long, we know the reality of the story And the reality that we see here is because she chose to intervene, 
In a moment when, when it almost seems as if she didn't have to, she chose to be faithful and obey God. Because she chose to demonstrate God's love and mercy, not only was Naaman healed of his leprosy, not only did he know that, but together with the people of Israel, he could proclaim, now I know that there is no other God in all the world but in Israel. Now I know that there is no other God. Now I know that there is no other worthwhile thing that's worth my, that's worth my worship, that's worth my religion, that's worth my devotion than the one true God. And this we see as a result, a trickle-down effect of the young Israelite girl whose name is not even mentioned because of her faithfulness to God. Because oftentimes, I think it can be really easy for us to get into the mindset, if I'm faithful to God, then I will be blessed. And that's true. That's true. When we are faithful to God, we are blessed. But our understanding and idea of blessed, shouldn't be if I'm faithful to God, then I will get fill in the blank. If I'm faithful to God, then I'm going to get an A+. Yeah. I don't even care if I study. I'm going to get an A+. Because why? I've been faithful to God. Or we think of it as, if I do good things, if I do what God would have me do, then I might just get that new car I've been wanting. Something might just fall on my way. A lot of times we think of being faithful to God as conditional. If I'm faithful to God, then I will get X, Y, Z. But I think this morning what, what we should do, and I know what we should do, is that our understanding of what it means to be blessed, being faithful to God, is the blessing in and of itself. Being able to obey God for what he says to us in his word is the blessing to its fullest in and of itself. Being blessed means that we are happy and satisfied with God and before God. And so, the, and so for those who seek to obey God, not only will they find themselves blessed, but in that process it will lead to the blessing of those around him. And we don't get to dictate who that is. We leave that to God. But simply all that scripture, that God, that the Holy Spirit is calling us to today is that we are called to step out in faith saying, God, I'm going to obey you. Whatever the situation, I'm going to remain faithful to you. Despite whether I like this person or not, despite whether they have political differences than I do, despite whether they, they have a different understanding or despite the choices they've made, I'm going to step out in faith and be obedient to you. And in that process, that is when we see the Holy Spirit move. That is when we see God at work in the lives of those around us, whether that is our friends, whether that is our family, whether that is the strangers. And sometimes that even includes our enemies. As we close today, I want us to know this. That when we choose to demonstrate God's love, mercy, and grace in any given situation, it will have an outward ripple effect on the people around us. And in the same way that both Elisha and the nameless servant responded faithfully to God, we see that as a result that Naaman was able to encounter the living God. Here's what I want us to consider today. What if our faithfulness to God was always intended to not only be a blessing to ourselves, but to the people around us? Because if this is true, 
then we should strive in every area of our life to remain faithful to God's calling, not only so that we may know what our purpose is, but so that we may know and show others what it means to live life to the fullest. Because when we are faithful to God, in cycle, it leads others to being faithful to God.